Inside, the lies you tell become the person you become. On the outside, sun and reality shrink people back to their actual size. In here, people grow into their shadows. Renee Denfeld, The Enchanted. Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast focusing on the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm one of your hosts, Stephanie. And I'm your other host, Rachel. Joining us today, we have Katie, who is known as Chapter Stacks on YouTube. Through her channel, she has earned a reputation for finding hidden gems and bringing attention to these underappreciated books. So today, we are talking underhyped horror books on this episode of Books in the Freezer. This episode of Books in the Freezer is brought to you by Audible. This podcast wouldn't be possible without audiobooks. So if you want some spooky stories told by some familiar voices, try Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, read by Dexter's Michael C. Hall, or The Dead Zone, read by James Franco, or podcast favorite Joe Hill's Nosferatu, read by Kate Mulgrew. For a free audiobook and 30-day trial, go to audibletrial.com slash books in the freezer. Happy listening. So hi, Katie. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. This is actually my first podcast I've ever been on, so I'm excited and a tiny bit nervous. (laughs) (laughs) Before we get into the actual topic, we always like to give listeners a chance to kind of get to know your reading taste a little bit more. So if you want to go kind of back to your childhood, like did you grow up reading dark and creepy stories or was that something you more got into as you got older? I would say I've loved horror since as far back as I can remember because my parents, um, and I'm sure we'll this will get back to the Katie doll, which I know we'll talk about in a little bit, I'm sure, but my parents mm-hmm. have always loved horror, and I just remember watching The Shining when I was six or seven, which maybe wasn't appropriate, but my parents thought that it was, <laughs> and they always just loved Halloween, and I remember even being really little, and they would be watching a scary movie, and I would creep down the stairway, and and then hide behind the couch to watch it and then spring out two hours later behind them <laughs> during the climax of the movie. That was my favorite thing to do. So I remember just loving, I would say, horror movies first. And then I started really getting into horror novels. And I think the first ones would probably be, I don't know if you guys read these, but Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark that had the really oh, creepy yeah. drawings. So I remember being really excited about those and all of the scholastic book fairs. Oh, they were so good. Well, speaking of growing up, you mentioned the Katie doll, which is an interesting Instagram account your mom started. So what is the story behind that? So my mom is going to be thrilled that you asked about the Katie doll. So she started that, and I guess I'll explain what it is for people who don't know, but it's an Instagram account, and it's just the Katie doll underscore, because for some reason, the Katie doll was already taken. But it's this very creepy doll that my mom actually made by hand, and it's made to look like me, which is why it's called the Katie doll. And I think she made it when I was about two years old. You know how there are those classes where you can 
drink wine and paint. Well, this was, I think, drink wine and make a doll and they gave you all the supplies. And so she brought in a picture of me and the dress I was wearing and recreated it. And I never really thought anything of it just because my mom has a lot of dolls in their house. And then when my friends would start coming over in high school or undergrad to visit or spend for the weekend, they were always commenting on how creepy the doll was because at this point, the doll's 20 plus years old. It has a crack down its face and, you know, it's covered in dust. I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it is pretty creepy. So one of my friends jokingly kept telling my mom how scared she was of it. So my mom, whenever this friend came to visit, her name's Sam, my mom would put it in the hallway and have the light pointed at it in such a way so that when Sam turned the corner, it would be there. <laughs> she would scare me. It would be in the car, like every least place you would expect. And then one of my other friends jokingly said, Mary, you should make an Instagram account for the Katie doll. And her response was, great, what's Instagram? <laughs> so she created this Instagram account called the Katie doll. And I'm sure you guys know this, but if you decide to check it out, you have to start from the beginning because my mom thinks that, that with Instagram, each post has to relate back to the last one. So there's this whole story of the Katie doll chasing this little stuffed animal chipmunk named Chip. And it's really kind of honestly taken over her life because <laughs> she's retired. <laughs> and she just asks me all these questions all the time. And she's even given me some like insider scoop on what's going to happen to Chip. So I know. <laughs> so she's just having so much fun with it. And I swear one day it's going to be more popular than all of us. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, wasn't she sending you text messages asking if she could put like knives on Instagram or if they get flagged? <laughs> Yeah, so she'll freak out really regularly. Like, I think this was just yesterday. She jokingly, someone had left a comment about where the Katie doll was because she responds to every single comment she gets. She's waiting by her phone because she's just having so much fun. And she jokingly said like, oh, well, what's your address and I'll find you. And then it happened to be that the next few days she didn't get any likes or new followers. And she was like, wait, have I been banned because I asked for an address? Like, I hope they know that I was kidding. And I was like, you did not get banned. So she's just, you know, all in. <laughs> She's like, I didn't really want the address. And I was like, they know, they know. <laughs> She's so weirdly good at taking the photos. She like does it with a flashlight out in the dark. I don't know, but it's better than my Instagram. That doll is ridiculously creepy. I can't believe you didn't think it was creepy until your friends pointed it out. And I've also noticed depending on the lighting, it feels like the face changes, like the facial expressions. So yeah, it's really disturbing. So you talked a little bit about movies already, but when it comes to horror stories, is there a particular kind that you're drawn to, like a particular subgenre or style of horror? So I wouldn't say there's a specific subgenre, whether it be ghost stories or murder mysteries or anything like that. But for me, just the atmosphere is the most important. So for me, I think just because I haven't been reading as many horror novels the past month or so, but I have been watching a lot of horror movies, movies like The Shining, It Follows, Hereditary. And I think Hereditary, if you've seen it, that came out recently, it was even somewhat inspired by The Shining a little bit. But they're all movies where, and I like this style of books as well, where it's not constantly things jumping out at you. It's not jump scares, but it's just this really unnerving atmosphere throughout. And that's what scares me a lot more. Oh, that sounds really good. I haven't watched Hereditary yet. Yeah, I haven't either. It's horrifying. I couldn't find anyone to go with me, but I know what you mean. I love that too. Kind of that, what's that production company? A24, like that very subtle atmosphere yes. creepiness throughout and I went alone which made it even scarier <laughs> oh, God. no one Boy, would go sure. with me <laughs> yeah so on that note what is the scariest book you've ever read so for this it took me a long time to think of one because at first I was gonna say the ruins 
I don't know if either of you have read that or seen the movie it was made into, but it's the only plant horror movie or horror novel that's really scared me because at one point, I won't say why, but vines are growing through people's bodies and anything like that just horrifies me. So that one's really, I would say, the grossest one I've ever read that really disturbs me. But the scariest book I've probably ever read is House of Leaves, which I feel like even if people haven't read it, they recognize it just because it's such a huge, weirdly shaped book. But it's about a house that's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. And you just start to feel really trapped while you're reading, which I really like. Yeah, that's one of your favorites, isn't it, Stephanie? Yeah, I love that book. Actually, that's how I found you on BookTube. I don't know if I ever told you that. Oh, really? Because I was considering buying it. Like I had book buying money and I was like, I can't find anything on House of Leaves. Like I don't know anything about it. Like the synopses are all really vague. And then I just typed it into YouTube. I'm like, well, maybe someone's talking about it. And I saw you had a spoiler free review. And then that's how I actually found BookTube. Oh, wow. I was like, wait, this is a whole thing. <laughs> and now it's come full circle because you found BookTube through me and now I'm on my first podcast. So yeah. So speaking of your YouTube channel on there, you have a reputation for reviewing lesser known books. Why do you seek out these underhyped titles? Yeah, I would say my favorite videos to film, and I will say they're probably the ones that get the least views. <laughs> and I'm sure you guys have probably experienced that as well. But it's funny because people will always say they want underhyped books, but then it's always the popular books that, you know, just end up getting the most traction. But I think I just love the idea of especially an author like Michael McDowell, which I'll get into when we talk about book recommendations. But I just love the idea of bringing to light an author that not many people have heard of. And even though there tends to be a little bit less discussion, but just nothing warms my heart more than when somebody say two months after I post the video and they come back and say, I never would have found that author if it weren't for you. And I love the book so much. You know, even though those videos get a lot less comments and a lot less views, because generally most people clicking on it haven't heard of the author or read the book. Even if it's just a few months later, some people will have read the book and come back and leave some comments and say that they really enjoyed it, then you know, that's what really makes it worth it for me. I definitely picked up the elementals because of you. So there you go. I'm one of those. Yeah, and I don't even remember how I found that one. But yeah, that's one of my favorites. Well, hopefully you remember how you found some <laughs> of the less popular books, because that was my next question is I thought, let's actually drill down to the main topic and ask, how do you find out about these like less popular books because I think that's something I hear a lot is people say oh I only ever hear about these same books over and over again so how do you go about finding something that is quote-unquote underhyped or a hidden gem so the main way that I would say I find underhyped books is by looking up recommendation lists from the author so as you guys know, Gillian Flynn is my favorite author. So every now and then she'll be interviewed and ask, who are your favorite authors? What are the favorite thrillers or psychological thrillers or horror novels you're reading recently? And so for Gillian Flynn, I know I've done that. For Karen Slaughter, who I've gotten into within just the past year, I've read, I think, three of her books. But in general, I'll just Google what their favorite books are. Because as much as any book in the bookstore might say, if you liked Gone Girl, you'll like this, I don't necessarily trust that. I want to hear from the person who wrote Gone Girl if they think I'll like it. I like that approach. That makes a lot of sense, especially getting the kind of things that might influence their writing. So do you find that your taste in the kind of horror you'd like to read has changed since you started your YouTube channel? I will say that I used to read a lot more straight up horror. 
just because like I was saying at the beginning, scary stories to tell in the dark was what I originally really got into. So I definitely used to read actually a lot more horror and crime. And then it's only within the past, I would say four or five years, because I've been on booktube for I think seven years for a really long time, within the past four or five years that I've gotten more so into thrillers. And I think that's partially because of the just explosion with Gillian Flynn becoming so popular. Just thrillers, I think, are getting a lot more attention than they used to. And so because of that, I tend to come across them a lot more often now than just straight up horror, but I definitely still love horror and thrillers really equally. And so before we get into our actual book recommendations, I wanted to point out that some of these books that we're going to be talking about, we consider to be underhyped, but I'm sure there's going to be listeners out there who are going to be familiar with the books and are going to say, well, that's not necessarily underhyped. So before we dive into these particular books, do you think the idea of an underhyped book is somewhat subjective or do you kind of have a response to people who will be no doubt commenting about this on the podcast? I would say that I think there is a difference between underhyped on different forms of media. So I know on BookTube, there'll be books that are just so wildly popular outside of BookTube, but then I never hear people on BookTube talk about. And of course, as I'm saying this, I can't think of any examples. <laughs> Although actually, I would say Karen Slaughter, I was talking about her earlier. So many of her books have just been bestsellers, but I never really hear a ton of booktubers talking about Karen Slaughter. So I do think depending on if you're on a podcast or on booktube or just a reader who's checking out NPR's top rated list that, you know, in that way, books can be hyped to different levels. Yeah, that's what I was thinking as well, is there's certain books that I see all the time on like horror bookstagram, but then never show up on YouTube or vice versa. And the other thing too, is I know listeners, like a lot of them follow us on our YouTube channels. So I am somewhat familiar with the books you're going to be talking about, Katie, but that's only because I do follow your YouTube channel and things like that. So I'm sure there's going to be a little bit of people who are really, really familiar and watch every single one of our videos might be able to go back and say, oh, I remember when you talked about this or that. But in my opinion, like everything we're talking about does not get enough tension online. So I think it's a really good excuse to talk about some of these. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking if anybody has seen my channel, these won't be underhyped to them, but to anyone who's maybe not familiar with it, it will be. And so let's talk about some specific book recommendations. And as usual, I like to go first and talk about one that again, if you follow me very closely on my channel, I've recommended several times. But despite doing that, I feel like no one else on the internet ever reads this book. So I'm going to try pitching it one more time and see if I can get people convinced. That book is called The Caretaker of Lorne Field by Dave Zeltzerman. And for 300 years, over nine generations, the Durkins family has been tasked with the responsibility of weeding Lorne Field in their small town. According to legend, if this field is left unattended, horrific monsters will grow. The current caretaker, Jack, diligently and tirelessly weeds the field every single day, killing these monster plants before they can grow out of their infancy. Unfortunately, where he sees monsters, everyone else in the town just sees weeds. So when the townspeople begin to wonder why they're paying this crazy old man to weed a field every day, he has to defend what he's doing. And even the caretaker's own sons don't necessarily believe that these monsters exist and aren't really interested in carrying on the family 
tradition. And this is just such a classic horror story in my mind. And it's so smart and so well written. It's one of my favorite things about horror is when it plays with the question of is there a horrifying monster out there or is a person simply crazy? This book is a couple years old, published in 2010, which I think is one of the reasons it's now considered to be underhyped, is that unless a book gets mega popular, I feel like the attention around it dies down very quickly. And I looked up the press, it's actually called Overlooked Press. So I have every <laughs> excuse to put this book in this episode. And I feel like I need to also preface it by saying that it's not a cheesy killer plant book. It sounds ridiculous like every book I pitch on this show, but honestly, it's so psychological because the way the narrative shifts around is so intelligently done. So part of the story is told from the caretaker himself and when he's in the field he sees the weeds for supposedly what they are but then whenever something actually happens whenever there's a moment and something occurs the narrative always shifts around so we as the reader don't actually get to see the action take place in which case it's the wonderful setup of a very unreliable narrator and I went back and forth and back and forth reading this which I love in terms of scariness, I would call it room temperature, but I still highly recommend it. I think it's one of the most well-written, well-plotted, little tiny horror books, and that is The Caretaker of Lorne Field by Dave Zeltzerman. So Katie, what book do you want to talk about? So my first one, and I would say this is the most underhyped author out of anybody that I talk about, and I think it was my favorite book of 2016 or 2017, but that's The Elementals by Michael McDowell. And this came out, I want to say, back in 1981, but it's my favorite kind of horror story because it's very atmospheric and all of Michael McDowell's book are this very just disquieting Southern Gothic horror. And he did pass away, I think, in the late 80s. And I think I first came across Michael McDowell because I was reading a book recommendation list from Stephen King, and he was saying just how underhyped Michael McDowell was and how he passed away before people could realize how wonderful of a writer he was. But like I said, it's always Southern Gothic horror. And so this takes place down in the South on the Gulf. And there are these three Victorian houses, each one are owned by a different family and they're sort of their summer houses they go to. I want to say it's in Alabama and a funeral has just happened. And so the two families who own two of those three houses go down to spend the summer. And then there's the third house, which is just called throughout the book, the third house and nobody owns it and nobody likes to go into it because one, it's very creepy. There's just something about it, but it's also slowly filling with sand which is really disturbing. And so the atmosphere is just my favorite part of this book. You know, I never thought that I would be scared of sand. <laughs> I never thought I would be so creeped out by just that imagery of sand slowly filling a house. And then on top of that, there are some much scarier elements. And I always say whenever I talk about this book in particular, that even though it is hard to find physical copies of Michael McDowell's books, I think for years it was really hard to find them just because they weren't even printing them anymore because that's how underhyped his books are. But recently a company called, I think it's Valencourt Books, started republishing some of his books. And I know they came out with just a beautiful paperback edition of The Elementals, which I own and love and try and force everybody to read. So I would recommend checking out 
the physical copy, but I actually listened to it as an audiobook just on Audible. And I love the voice of the author because he has a Southern accent. It just fits really well with the book. And also there is some humor between the father and the daughter and he kind of plays that up. So I think either way, whether it's hard copy or audiobook are good, but either way, I definitely think people should check this one out more. And as for scariness rating, where would you put this one? I would put this one at freezer level, I think. Although I will say whenever I recommend this book and people come back and tell me that they don't enjoy it, I mean, most say that they really like it. But if somebody says that they didn't enjoy it, it's because they thought the first, I would say, two thirds were really slow, which is true because it is just more of a creepy atmospheric book. But I still would put it at freezer level or maybe fridge just because that last third of the book when shit really starts to go down, it is very scary. I definitely agree. And also cosign for the elementals and checking out that beautiful reprint from Valencourt, which we were actually just talking about on our Patreon group chat the other day, oh. talking about <laughs> Valencourt books. They did like his Blackwater series too, right? And like Cold Moon Over Babylon and all that. Did I still need to check out the Blackwater series. I keep hearing good things about them. I know, me too. And the Valencourt reprints of it look really good. So I'm going to talk about my book is a short story collection that is The End in All Beginnings by John F. D. Taff. This is published by Gray Matter Press. And as I mentioned, this is a short story collection. And I think one of the stories is a novella. And what I like about this is that it plays around with a lot of different genres like within horror speculative fiction so like one of the stories is called love in the time of zombies which is just a funny zombie love story that's obviously playing around with love in the time of cholera by gabriel garcia marquez and if you're familiar with it you'll notice it also pays it homage with its opening sentence and it's about a man who falls in love with a girl who is now a zombie because that's just the world we're dealing with i think this is the novella it's called object permanence which when I read it just felt like an episode of The Twilight Zone. It had some fantasy elements. And if you're familiar with the term object permanence, like when you have small kids and, you know, they see something and when that object is taken away, like they just don't think that thing exists anymore. And so it's kind of playing around with that idea. And just the way that it plays out in this town is like so creepy and terrifying. The opening story in this book is called What Becomes God, which is a beautiful coming of age story at the beginning. And then all of a sudden it goes somewhere and you're like, wait, what? What just happened? <laughs> it just like completely shocked me. And then there's a story called The Long, Long Breakdown, which is a post-apocalyptic story about a father and a daughter where like the world is flooded and they're living in these abandoned high rises and trying to avoid like the rising water levels. And they're like sleeping in these abandoned penthouses. And Visitation was a little more sci-fi. And that's about a character that wins a lottery that allows him to visit a planet where he is promised that he can communicate with the ghost of his long lost love. So I do not hear a lot of people talking about a John F.D. Taff. I know like Josh Mallerman always blurbs him and like Green Matter Press released an anthology recently and it included like Josh Mallerman and John F.D. Taff and I actually heard about him because Josh Mallerman was getting interviewed on a podcast and he said like you guys need to check out John F.D. Taff I think like everyone is sleeping on this guy and he's really good so I picked up this collection and he was absolutely right so the writing in this was beautiful a lot of the stories were pretty literary and I just really enjoyed it overall though I will say it was a little more on the room temperature side 
side, probably discounting like what becomes God because that that story was really shocking <laughs> just where it ended up going. That is The End in All Beginnings by John F.D. Taff. I pretty much feel like all short story collections, unless they're maybe edited by Ellen Datlow, are under hype. So I always think short stories are a good way to go for these kind of episodes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I never read short stories that are creepier, so I'll need to check that out. Along a similar note, my next recommendation is actually a novella, which part of the reason I'm recommending it is because I don't feel like a lot of people pick up novellas. I know there's a lot of pressure to always get your money's worth when you're buying a book, so people are often pressured to get like those giant tomes when they're at the bookstore. But this novella is called Mara by Richard Denny, and it is told from the perspective of a teenage girl named, surprisingly, Mara, who is a talented competitive ballet dancer. However, she is also a very troubled young woman with a lot of self-destructive tendencies and some very negative self-loathing thoughts. She struggles with her self-esteem and has become involved with a teacher at her school. The story starts out when she begins to hear a voice in her head that tells her to do some terrible things. And I decided because it's a novella, I don't want to say what those things are, but instead let the reader really experience it for themselves. If you're not familiar with the name Richard Denny, he actually has a YouTube channel, but I would consider pretty much any indie author to be underhyped. That's actually one of my recommendations if you're looking for a lesser known horror is try out indie titles because I don't feel like they get as much press. But if you look on Kindle or especially Kindle Unlimited, there are so many great ones out there. And this one I checked out when I had a Kindle Unlimited subscription, so great way to find more titles. And I particularly love stories that involve troubled female protagonists. We keep talking about it, but of course we all love Gillian Flynn's books, so something like the troubled main characters and sharp objects or dark places, I don't want to say it's the exact same thing, but this book has major, major trigger warnings for eating disorders and unhealthy thoughts. This book goes to some very dark places with a very dark inner monologue. I would say steer away from this book if you are in a really dark place yourself. It's incredibly triggering, but at the same time, I love those psychological aspects of the book. I think it will appeal to both people who normally read horror and also more of those psychological thriller readers who are looking to kind of dip their toes into the side of horror because once again, the story plays with the idea of is the main character crazy or is something supernatural going on, which I notice is one of my favorite tropes in horror. I just love that so much. And in this case, she's trying to figure out whether or not she's possessed. And this book is just dark, disturbing, and twisted, which are some of my favorite buzzwords when it comes to books in general. Definitely have to say that it would be at least fridge worthy because so much messed up stuff happens in this book. Again, I don't want to give too much away because it's only novella length, but highly recommend Mara by Richard Denny, which is fantastic. I'm glad you point that one out because I've never read anything by another booktuber because just being transparent here, the idea of not liking a booktuber's book is really terrifying to me, but hearing that you really like it makes me want to check it out. So that's good. Yeah, I know that feeling. I'm like, I would have felt terrible if I didn't love it. But thankfully, I was like, oh, this is right up my alley. So it worked out really well. Because it's always hard when you kind of are aware of other people. And I don't personally know Richard online, but absolutely watch his channel because he does some great videos about like middle grade horror. And so I've been meaning to check out his stuff for a while. And this one seems like a really good place to start. So what's your next book, Katie? 
So my next one would be, I think this is my favorite book of 2015, and I wouldn't call this horror and I wouldn't call it a thriller. I just think it belongs in a genre of its own, but it's definitely very disturbing, and that's The Enchanted by Renee Denfeld. And this is told from the point of view of a man on death row at this horrible prison. It takes place during present day, but the prison itself is very, very old. And I just picture this old looming stone prison. And it's hard to describe because the book's also, I think, a little bit difficult to understand because it's told from not necessarily different points of view, but this man who's on death row, and I don't believe you ever really figure out why he is. You just know that he did something terrible, but he's able to understand other people's thoughts. It's really difficult to describe because it's not as if he's just reading their minds. It's not that simple. But there are other characters like the priest or the father who's at the prison, a woman who she's just called Lady, I think, and her job is to investigate these people on death row. And it's been a while since I read this, but I think her end goal is to get their sentence reduced by finding out information from their past. But it's a really, really difficult read. I would say just trigger warnings for absolutely everything. It's it's very, very dark. But one of my favorite aspects of Renee Denfeld, and I also recently read and reviewed her new book, The Child Finder, but she used to have, or I think she still does have the same job as Lady in this book. She's worked on death row and been an investigator. So I think sometimes when you read a thriller or a horror novel that takes place in these horrific circumstances, you kind of picture the woman at home happily typing this up, trying to just conjure up terrible images of things that you know she might imagine could happen but I think the thing that makes reading Renee Denfeld's books really disturbing and also very emotional to read is that because this is her day job you know that a lot of this imagery and the stories and things that are happening even though if she's not pulling directly from her cases I'm sure sometimes the tone of what's happening or sometimes it's somewhat inspired by things that she's experienced from her own work which makes it difficult to read and really emotional but at the same time I can tell she handles it with a lot of respect and it's really difficult subject matter. So I think the respect with which she writes about it is really great. And this one's difficult to classify how I would rate it. I would say somewhat in between room temperature and fridge because it's definitely by no means a straight up horror novel, but it's still very, very disturbing and like tugged at my heart a lot more than most other books. And I think what makes this one scary, even though it's not a horror novel, is because you get that feeling that things like this have happened, which is what makes it so disturbing. Yes. Everything possible is so much scarier. Oh, definitely. And I feel like the cover for this book is very pretty. So like I wouldn't think of it as being a dark book. Yeah, and the title too. Yeah, it looks like very like magical realism. Like, And actually, you're right. It's probably creepy magical realism if I had to put it in a category. So my next book is We Eat Our Own by Kia Wilson. And this takes place in the 1970s. A nameless actor is hired by an enigmatic director to start filming a mysterious horror art film set in the Amazon. And he flies out, no questions asked. And it seems like the production film is cursed because they're over budget. Everything is so wet. The film just keeps disintegrating. Many people on set seem to be on the verge of breakdowns. And the crew is worried about work conditions. And they're completely unaware that M19 gorillas and drug traffickers are operating out of the same jungle outpost. And this story is basically a retelling of the events of filming the movie Cannibal Holocaust. 
And that's a 1980s Italian jungle exploitation horror film that's like one of the most controversial films of all time. What I like about it is that the chapters play with different kinds of storytelling. So in the chapters where you're following the actor, those are written in second person, but not second person like Caroline Kepnes's You, where you're like watching someone it's almost like a choose your own adventure story like you're the actor like you get the call you say yes you clean out your closet and look at flights so it does read kind of like choose your own adventure and then there are chapters about the m19 and drug trafficking stuff that's going on in that jungle and then there's chapters in the future where the director is on trial for things so it's just eerie because you know things go bad if there's a trial and so you're kind of just like waiting to see like and the way information is revealed and like things you don't know is just really creepy and it definitely sent me down a wikipedia rabbit hole for the filming of cannibal holocaust and like what happened it was a very controversial filming and everything that happened with it and i just love the way that that story is told in this book and it's one i don't hear a lot of people talk about that being said i would rate this as room temperature but i still think it's really interesting and that more people need to read it so that is we eat our own by kia wilson i'm gonna have to check that out because i won't lie i watched cannibal holocaust maybe 10 years ago i went down a phase of trying to find the most disturbing horror movies on the internet and I found some like bootleg version of that. I don't know any of the like information you're talking about behind it. It was on some list of most terrifying movies of all time. So I watched it and I regret it. <laughs> oh man, I would not read anything about it until you read it because I think if you read what actually happened and then you read it, it's like the same. Like they didn't change anything. It all kind of plays out like how it played out in real life. Oh God. I mean, except for the M19 like drug storyline I think was added that was not a part of cannibal holocaust at all oh okay well i'm gonna do one more recommendation and that is witch hunter into the outside by jay-z foster this is about a witch hunter named richard who doesn't actually believe in witches instead he just enjoys the excuse to role play and larp with his DD buddies however he agrees one night to take a journalist out for a night of quote-unquote witch hunting the journalist, on her part, isn't too happy with the assignment. She thinks it's pretty ridiculous, but goes along and follows this guy on his kooky adventures. The story is told over two timelines, one when they are going on their witch hunting, and then the other timeline is afterwards when the witch hunter Richard is getting interrogated by the police. I don't want to say too much, but needless to say, you know something very bad happened that night. And now Richard is having to deal with the consequences because, again, he doesn't think witches are real at first, but by the end of that night, his beliefs are somewhat shaken. And this is a piece of satirical horror. I love that subgenre. I find it super entertaining, and this one was just so much fun. I pitched this one as a horror story that's perfect for skeptics. Because not only the journalist doesn't really believe in the whole deal, but the witch hunter himself, like I said, just thinks that he is part of this group that pretend to be witch hunters and doesn't realize that the other members of his group are actually taking this more seriously than he is. He just thinks that you say the words, you put on the outfit, you go out, you have fun. But of course, you know it's a horror story, so things get pretty twisted and it's just ridiculous fun, which again is something I do enjoy. And this book is by an indie author. Author, which 
is the reason I wanted to put it in here is because I feel like every indie author does not get enough attention. So this is the perfect excuse to talk about it. We did a whole episode on indie horror, but if we were ever to do a follow-up episode on indie horror, I could just keep going. So I love to sneak them in wherever I can. And so for scariness rating, because it's satire, I got to put it room temperature. It probably won't scare you, but I still recommend it. And that's Witch Hunter Into the Outside by Jay-Z Foster. And so for my final recommendation and kind of like the last book I talked about, this definitely isn't straight up horror, but I still found it really disturbing. And I never hear this book talked about on booktube or anything by this author, but that's Garnet Hill by Denise Mina. And I will say I read this a very long time ago, so I'm pretty fuzzy on what actually happened. But I remember giving it five out of five stars and reading the rest of the series. But this is a very disturbing, I would call it thriller, mystery, crime novel trilogy and Garnet Hill's the first book. But it takes place in Scotland and Maureen O'Donnell is an alcoholic and she wakes up one morning and the man she's been sleeping with who's married, he's her therapist, has been murdered and his body is in her living room. So naturally she becomes the first suspect. And she's out of any of the authors I read, the one time I would really say that if you like Gillian Flynn to check out this book series, just because her writing style, it's just very disturbing and gritty. And also similar to Renee Denfeld, she studied law, the author at Glasgow University where this takes place. And a lot of her studies and her work are in criminal law and criminology. One of my favorite aspects of the book is just that Glasgow feels like a character onto of its own in the book. And I've been to Scotland, actually, and it's a beautiful country. I adore it. I've never been to Glasgow, and she definitely doesn't paint Glasgow in the most wonderful light. Although I'm sure it's great there, I think she just paints the certain areas where Maureen lives as very gritty and very disturbing. So you constantly kind of feel that you're on edge reading this book, even though, like I said, it's not a straight up horror novel. And so since this one isn't straight up horror and you never have, you know, ghosts or things popping out at you, I would say it's room temperature, but it still is a very creepy, more crime thriller mystery novel. Oh, wow. I've never even heard of this book. I've seen some one-star reviews on Goodreads because people really hate the ending, but I can't remember what happened because it's been so long (laughs) since I read it. So, But obviously you must have not hated it at the time, we hope. Yeah. Well, my final pick is a novella, and this is The Witching Hour Theater by Jonathan Jans. And The Witching Hour Theater is playing a horror movie triple feature, and Larry always makes a point to go because it's the only exciting thing in his life, except maybe possibly flirting with the cute brunette that works concessions. So he settles in to watch his movies, and by the time the second film starts, there's only 13 people left in the theater. There's a teenager with multiple piercings, a cop, a group of bullies, and a strangely quiet man. And on this endless October night, The Witching Hour Theater will become Larry's worst nightmare, for the movie on the screen is growing stranger by the minute, and his fellow theater goers are disappearing one by one, and the figure from the shadows is advancing. This book was so much fun, and I think what made it such a great book for me was the character of Larry that just like right away, you know who this guy is. He's just like a shy guy who really doesn't have a lot going on. He has a crush on this girl that works at the theater, but he's like too shy to do anything about it or ask her out. They have a really good conversation about horror movies and what's great about them, and I just always love when books do that, like when they have characters defending horror as a genre, because I just feel like these are conversations 
I have in my real life. And this is, I would say, like a slasher movie. And so part of the story is that he goes to watch all of these slasher movies and then kind of ends up being in a slasher movie. But just the way that the dread gets built up over 80 pages and you're just like, something is going on. What is happening to all these people? And like the movie, like the synopsis side just like keeps getting weirder. So Jonathan Jans just released a new book called The Siren and the Spectre with Flame Tree Press this year. But I think this might have been his first published work. And I think right now it's only available as an ebook on Kindle, but it's on there for like 99 cents. But I definitely suggest this one. This is only about 80 pages and it's just like a really good slasher story with some good like horror movie atmosphere. I would put this in the freezer just because it gets pretty violent it doesn't hold back but if you're a fan of slasher stories i would definitely check this one out so that is the witching hour theater by jonathan jans i need to read that you know how much i love <laughs> yeah. slasher stories yeah that's such a rachel book i have such a soft spot for slasher horror <laughs> All right, so let's end the episode talking about our chilling obsessions. And I want to talk about a documentary series on Netflix called Dark Tourist. It's fairly new. It's about a journalist named David Ferrer who travels around the world seeking out dark experiences. He goes to Europe, Latin America, Southeast Asia, Africa, etc. And exactly what it sounds like, he just goes and tries out different experiences that are a little bit off the beaten path, a little bit dark, a little bit sinister. So as you can expect, some of the things he does are more interesting than others, but he goes and sees how a mummy gets cleaned. He gets to watch an exorcism, which I think is one of the coolest, craziest ones. He attends a voodoo festival. He gets to go to Japan and goes to the suicide forest, which are really famous as a place where people go to die. He also went and explored areas of Japan that have a lot of radiation and just having everyone walk around with their Geiger counter honestly wasn't super interesting to watch but what I like about the documentary honestly it's not perfect I didn't think it was the best documentary I've ever watched but what it did is it really inspired me to try to convince my husband who isn't really game yet but this would be the most amazing way to travel like to go to these places and see like these intense like haunted houses to see these like dark festivals and just kind of indulge that horror side of our brains and incorporate travel into that so it just sounded really amazing it reminded me a lot of a nonfiction book we talked about way back in our episode on nonfiction horror called scream which is about a journalist who explores the idea of fear and thrill-seeking tourism and so she goes to like you know the craziest roller coasters and all of these crazy places and like you know jumps out of an airplane all of that I'm not much of a thrill seeker but this appealed to me because it was more about the creepy side of things so I kind of recommend that one just as a inspiration for some really fun dark travel like my husband and I want to go to Japan at some point so I'm like I would love to go to the suicide forest that sounds so creepy and dark but again like my husband Jesse is not super excited about my new plans <laughs> for travel so we'll see I need to do a little more convincing or just schedule things without like letting him know why we're going to places they'll just be like oh we're going to this pretty forest now that's my plan oh man my husband and I started watching this and I think we're the opposite because he was like, this sounds like so cool. We didn't get super far into it. We're still in the middle of it. But like he talks about one episode going to like active war zones. And I was like, no, oh my God, <laughs> we'll not be doing that. <laughs> 
but I think it's the first episode that they go to like the Pablo Escobar compound and like the ex hitman that used to work for him is giving the tour. I was really nervous during that episode. So my pick is the show Castle Rock on Hulu. And this is a show that takes place in the Stephen King universe. I haven't read like everything Stephen King has ever written, so I might be wrong on this. But I know there's like a series of novels that take place in the fictional town of Castle Rock, Maine. And then he has like his novels that are set in like the town of Derry, Maine, like it. And so This follows the books that take place in the town of Castle Rock. So the Castle Rock novels, which are Needful Things, The Long Walk, The Dark Half, Gerald's Game, and Gwendy's Button Box. And the only one of those I have read is Needful Things. But the protagonist of Needful Things, Alan Paneborn, is a character in the show, which is really interesting. And if you follow like any Stephen King fans who are watching this, there are just a ton of Stephen King Easter eggs, including some of the actors from other adaptations, like Sissy Spacek is a character on here. And obviously she was Carrie and Bill Skarsgård is a character. And obviously he was Pennywise from it. It was that you don't need to have read the books to enjoy the story. This is just like a brand new story with brand new characters all on its own just kind of about this creepy town just with the added context of the fact that it has this very sordid history like one of the plot lines takes place at Shawshank prison it's very eerie there's a lot of really great performances the cinematography is great this is produced by like J.J. Abrams and the opening scene is very jarring and then from there there's just a lot of heavy atmosphere and so far they said it did get renewed for a second season and that it's kind of going to go the American Horror Story route where like each season's going to be like brand new characters, brand new storyline. So I'm interested to see where it goes from there. So that is Castle Rock on Hulu. I'm waiting for all of the episodes to finish so that I can do a Hulu free trial and watch all of them within like a week. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Oh my gosh, I do that all the time with streaming services. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Because <laughs> yeah. I have Netflix. Some part of my brain, even though it's not that much money, just refuses to pay for Netflix and Hulu at the same time. I don't know why. So what is your chilling obsession, Katie? So I'm cheating and doing two because I don't have tons to say about either. But I already talked about Hereditary, which that I think isn't in theaters anymore, but a movie that's on Netflix that's one of my new favorite horror movies that I've seen within the past year at least is The Ritual. And it's hard to talk about without spoiling something that happens within the first 10 minutes. So I'll just say there's a group of friends. It's a bunch of guys in their late 30s, early 40s in England. And one of them dies. And I can't remember if it's the one who died or one of the other friends had said that they really wanted to do this hike in a different country in Europe. And they're not the most athletic group like me, but they still go on this hike to honor their friend who's died. And then very, very disturbing things start to happen. And I would say there's a scene in the cabin, and if you've seen the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about, that's very, very disturbing. The only reason this isn't one of my favorite horror movies of all time is because I think at the end of the movie, they start to show you too much, and you really see and find out everything, and it's almost too clear to the point where nothing's left to the imagination, so I don't find it as scary. But I still do recommend it, and if you're a Downton Abbey fan, Thomas is one of my favorite characters, and he's one of the main guys. 
And then my second one would be my favorite thing on the internet to check out that I like to get creeped out by is the Unsolved Mysteries subreddit. Just because I don't read a lot of nonfiction, if I want to read about really creepy unsolved mysteries that are just kind of bite-sized and I can spend 20 minutes falling down a black hole about one, I really love that. My friends send me those all the time. Like there are some freaky ones on there. <laughs> yes. There's one like whole subreddit that's just on John Bonet. <laughs> and I follow that too. And do people just keep updating it? Yeah. Which you would think like, wouldn't you have run out of things to say about John Bonet and who killed her? But people still keep finding new things. And most people on there seem to think that the brother sort of did it accidentally when he was little. Oh, man. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Katie. It was so much fun having you on here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have this be my first podcast that I was ever on. And where can people find you online? So I'm at YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter, all chapter stacks, one word with two S's at the end. Still makes me angry, but someone already had chapter stacks with one S. And then of course, as we talked about, the most important thing is the Katie Doll Instagram account. So of course, check that out as well. Even though it's not me, it's my mom. So Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod or on Instagram at Books in the Freezer. You can send us an email at booksinthefreezer at gmail.com. Show notes for this episode and all previous episodes are at booksinthefreezer.com. We are on Patreon as Books in the Freezer. And a special thank you to our patrons, Laura, Liz, Devin, Sarai, Roger, Emily, Denise, Anthony, Jason, Leanne, Elizabeth, Sean, Mitch, Alicia, Christopher, David, and PT. I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N. Or on YouTube at That's What She Read. And I'm Rachel. You can find me on Twitter at Shades underscore Orange or on YouTube and Instagram at The Shades of Orange. Join us next time for Books in the Freezer.